Today on the Made For More podcast, I am very excited to be joined by Kate Burr. Kate is a humor coach and an award-winning comedian who helps people to develop their comedic or comic intelligence and be funny on purpose. She teaches speakers, leaders, and professionals how to use humor for engagement to build better business relationships, improve performance, and increase their results. Today's episode is filled with lots of laughs, of course, when you're interviewing a a humor coach. You can find all of the information and the show notes for today's episode at madeformore.com.au forward slash 19. If you can also jump on to podcasts or where Apple podcasts, sorry, or wherever it is that you listen to today's episode, give it a rating and uh, I would love a review. Uh, I really hope you enjoy today's episode. I certainly had quite a few giggles uh, during the interview and uh, let's dive in. Welcome to the Made For More podcast. I'll be sharing my experiences along with some actionable advice to take your leadership to the next level. Introducing your host, it's me, Ali Nitschke. I'm a leadership and courageous conversations expert, a Nutella lover, a mother of four young boys, a wife and a dance floor junkie. I'm here to give you the motivation you need to level up, lead yourself, lead your team and your business. Let's go. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Made For More podcast. I am joined by a very special and very funny guest. I have got with me Kate Burr. Hello, Kate. How are you? Hello, Ali. So good to be here. It is so great to have you here. Uh, as we like to start off uh, these, these interviews, tell me, Kate, where have you come from and where are you going? Right. Okay. So I'm not entirely sure where I'm going necessarily. <laughs> I do know where I've been. So um, back in 2001, I was like thinking I really want to try stand-up comedy. So I did my very first ever open mic night back in 2001. Wow. Um, yeah. And it was back in the days when you had to, like, I registered for Triple J Royal Comedy and it was like you had to fill out a entry form in a, on a piece of paper and send it in the letterbox. And as soon as I sent it, I was like, oh, my gosh, what have I done? But anyway, did my first open mic night. Didn't suck completely, so I kept <laughs> going. <laughs> and then I think it was in 2007 I did what everyone tells you not to do. I quit my day job and became a full-time comedian. Uh, which was pretty good fun yeah so that freaked out a lot of people but yeah I did end up doing the Adelaide Fringe Festival and then went back to my day job and sat there and I'm like I'm not in the right job anymore so I quit my job and did comedy full time and then what happened I had my daughter a couple of years later and couldn't do stand-up comedy the same way I used to where you'd go out to a comedy club for four hours and do that and I couldn't do that logistically because I had a little baby with me. So what I ended up doing was I started a comedy show at a local tennis club for mums. Ah. And we, uh, the idea was that we'd uh, you'd leave the baby with dad, hopefully, and come out for an hour before any, and then you'd be home. You'd have a laugh, have a drink, and then you'd be home before anyone missed you. And so that sort of was where my business career sort of started so I sort of started morphing from stand-up comedian to business owner because I was putting on comedy shows and then not long after that what happened was we had one show we had a couple of mums come running up at the end and they said do you do this as a fundraiser and I'm like 
yeah, we can do that. And they're like, this would be perfect for school. So it very quickly morphed from a local tennis club into a fundraising model where we'd go out to schools and sporting clubs and put on comedy shows. They'd sell the tickets, sell a few drinks, do a few fundraising raffles and stuff, and we'd make a whole heap of money and everyone had a good time. That um, is awesome. I love <laughs> that idea. I think bring that back. Yeah. Well, yeah, we well we could if uh, COVID behaves itself. Totally. Yes, yes. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Um, yeah, so what, what happened from there is I was like, okay, I'm full into business owner mode now. I need some more help with business stuff. So I went and joined a whole heap of businessy networking groups. And from there, I met a couple of professional speakers. And we're sitting around at a conference dinner one night, just opposite each other and talking about what we do. And this um, speaker said to me, what do you do? And I said, I'm a stand-up comedian. And she said, do you teach speakers how to be funny? And I'm like, why would I do that? That's not even a thing. She's like, it is a thing. And I'm like, no, it's not. And she goes, it is. And so she convinced me to start working with professional speakers and found out that it actually is a thing. And so for the last probably five years, I've been a humor coach to professional speakers and then um, still getting drawn back in with all the businessy side of things. So now I also work with business owners and leaders and coaches um, to do humor, like, so use humor for engagement. So that's sort of what I do now to engage people with your message um, and make sure that they engage their market. So that's sort of where I'm at now as a humor coach. I absolutely love this. And you might not actually remember this, but earlier this year, we actually first met at a at a speaker's event at the PSA event here in Adelaide at the Arkabar. Yeah. And uh, there's a couple of, you know, pretty good headliners there. And I was having a bit of a fangirl moment and you walked up and I was like, oh, you know, what do you do? And you're like, I'm a humor coach. And I'm like, I've got no idea what that is, <laughs> but I think I need you in my life. And uh, fast forward, you know, what is it? 10 months now. And uh, here we are. And I absolutely love I love your story. I love hearing that you just, you know, posted off your posted off your application. And is it hard to be funny on paper as opposed to being funny on stage? Oh, luckily you didn't have to actually put any jokes on uh, the paper. It was just like name, email, address, phone number. Oh no, not even email. It was like name, actual address, phone number, like MySpace address. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is so, so good. So can we backtrack a little bit? And can you totally. tell me how you went from, you know, that first Triple J? Was it Triple J, did she say? Yes. Triple J, you know, comedy and then into the fringe. Talk about the transition. I've had a couple of fringe shows back in my heyday as a ballet dancer and it's a, it's a real carny life, isn't it? It's awesome atmosphere. Tell me about yeah. your experiences there. Yeah, well, I think um, the first couple of years when I was on the open mic circuit, I was just completely terrified of what I was doing and I was like drinking beers before I'd get on stage just to calm my nerves and get myself on stage <laughs> and hope that I remembered all my lines and I was really, really focused on myself and survive. I was basically in survival mode. And what happened as I started to actually get on top of that, I was like, oh, there's actually an audience in front of me and they're laughing and, oh, this is quite fun. <laughs> And so when I sort of went from that survival mode into service mode for the audience, that's when the magic really started to happen. And it was sort of addictive beforehand, but when I actually got worked out that I could have that connection and interaction with the audience, it was just like, oh, I have to do this so much more now. And so when I was like, I was like, okay, what is the next step from doing the open mic stuff? The next step is stand up, like to do a fringe show. So I was like, oh, yep, I'll do that. But because I'd sort of hadn't, because normally with a fringe show and stand-up comedians, you do an hour-long show, and I didn't have an hour's worth of material. Uh. 
<laughs> so I did a lunchtime show and I called it Back in 30 Minutes. So the idea was that you could go to lunch, watch a comedy show and be back in the office in 30 minutes. <laughs> That is awesome. That is a great idea. Talk about like, you know, your entrepreneurial notice a gap and fill it. I yeah. love that. Back in 30 minutes, you get your a lunch full of laughs and then back to the office, probably in a little bit of a better mood. Exactly. So now you work with um, coaches and speakers, but you're also looking at or you are also working with leaders around, you know, how humour can actually help with staff engagement. And I think that, I, I mean, we've talked about this before, and I think that this is a missing piece of the puzzle and something you touched on before. Sometimes uh, as leaders, we get so caught up in the seriousness of, you know, what do I need to be doing? I've got my leadership hat on, you know, don't let yeah. any chinks in the armour show. So tell me a little bit around, you know, how humour works in the workplace. Yeah, well, what sort of happened was when I was working with all these professional speakers and I was unpacking their messages and then we'd put the humour in and then we'd put it all back together in a nice little package, I was sort of reflecting on my own stand-up comedy journey and my own journey with humour and just gone, well, I think I've actually got a fair bit of potential here to come up with something as well. And so that's when I started to realise that what a comedian does to engage an audience is very similar to what a leader could do to engage their teams. Because when you, like, the thing that with an audience is that you can get them laughing, you can get them having a good time, and then you can pretty much get them to do whatever you need them to do. Awesome. So you can get them to clap at the right spots, you can get them to be quiet and listen, even um, despite if you think about a comedy club, there's drinking and there's darkness and there's distractions. And it's not an in encouraging environment to like it's a pretty hostile environment to get people engaged but if you can actually get them together and then you can take them on a journey and then at the end they're all like that was so much fun we had such a good time and telling the experiences afterwards so it's like what can, like what is a comedian actually doing that we can um, transfer back into the workplace and help the um, workplace engage their teams very very cool so hopefully in the workplace there's not so much drinking and darkness uh, <laughs> happening oh maybe I could have a little a comedy skit myself I'm so funny today so hopefully there's none of that drinking and darkness but I, I definitely think there's a lot of distraction when it comes oh, totally. to workplace you know when we're recording this right now Adelaide's just about to go into or is, is experience its second wave and I think you know because we're getting information at us so quickly you know whether it's via email or updates or you know staff meetings and dare I say air quotes pivot you know what are some of the keys to actually engaging people uh you know off the stage you know if you're a leader what do we need to be doing to make sure that the message that we're saying or uh, communicating is making sure that it's falling on engaged ears? Yeah, well, I think one of the things that we really need to focus in on initially is how are people feeling? Mm. Because if you're feel like, because when you feel good, you do good, basically. Yeah. If you feel blah, you're not going to be doing as well like you're probably going to be doing blah if you feel blah so yeah. it's really focusing in, in on the feelings and going what's actually people are dealing with right now that we need to navigate and so I think a lot of the time people are just I think a lot of people are pretty much overwhelmed at the mm -hmm. moment so sort of coming out of COVID or if we're going into the second wave it's sort of similar for both groups it's like We've had so much change this year. We've had expectations changing a whole heap and everything, everyone's just a bit like, oh, they're done. 
Like we haven't got much left to throw at this. So it's how, so you can probably, I think it's pretty safe to say that most people's moods are low. So how do we actually turn that around and get their moods a little bit higher so that then they've got capacity to do something with those moods Mm. (laughs) sort of thing. Mm. And obviously humour is such a helpful way to do that when I first started humor coaching because I didn't really believe in myself because I was like (laughs) I don't think that I'm still not convinced this is a thing and um, obviously I was proven wrong many a time but I went and did a whole heap of research around humor and what it actually does and the benefits of laughter and all that sort of stuff and I was fascinated that I'd been doing stand-up comedy at this point for about 13 years and had no idea of there was a field called gelatology, which is the science behind the benefits of laughter. And I was like, wow, I didn't even know that was a thing. And so there's so many physiological and psychological benefits to humour that I think is really, really helpful, especially in these sorts of really crisis times that we're going through that can help people just change their things. So if you think about laughter on a physical being sort of sense what happens is it actually reduces your blood pressure and it improves your blood flow and it reduces your muscle tension as well so actually physically can relax people's bodies and then on a psychological benefit aspect what happens with laughter is that it can actually reduce the cortisol levels which is the stress hormones that are flowing around your body it actually reduces them it's been proven to do that and it also increases your endorphin levels so it's sort of like this almost like a buffer to just go okay I'm just going to put this all in and calm myself down and fill myself with endorphins and that's going to help me manage the crisis time so much better initially. Mm. So does it kind of work both ways so you can use laughter to kind of you know break down the stress and then you can also use the after effect the endorphins for laughter to kind of act as like a little bit of a bumper you like bumper cars, like a bumper zone so that, you yeah. you know, you have more capacity for stressful situations, you know, yeah. should they arise. Yeah, totally. And to boost the mood. So basically, if, you, if you're focusing in on your team's feelings and they're like, it's everything's a bit low, bringing in a little bit of humour in the right way, of course, which we will, mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll get to in a minute, bringing in that little bit of humour is going to reduce the stress levels and increase the mood straight away. And it's sort of like I like to think of laughter in this sort of a situation like a pressure release valve. It's like, mm. and it's like let's just blow the tension off because when if things are on the boil, it doesn't take much to set somebody off. And so it's like how do we just take that level right down so there's a lot more capacity, before, like we've got a bit more resilience before we blow our loads sort of thing. Yeah, I think that's an awesome skill to be able to have, like firstly to recognise, you know, what's going on, you know, read the room of what's happening with your teams and then also have something in your your toolkit to be able to go, you know what, we need to kind of uh, release the, the stress pressure. Absolutely, yeah. that's so cool. Yeah. Now you mentioned about having the right kind of humor. So I've got, I've got four kids, the two elder seven and five can read now. So they've been bringing home some joke books yep. from school. So they are obsessed with knock, knock jokes. They're also obsessed with why did the chicken cross the road jokes, but they don't understand that they're separate jokes. So for about three months, we've heard like knock, knock, who's there? Why did the chicken cross the road? No, no, that's not how you do the joke. So please, <laughs> For anyone who isn't naturally funny, can we talk about what is uh, not appropriate because we know what appropriate humour is, but how do you uh, be funny without, you know, cracking some knock-knock jokes or why the chicken cross the road jokes? (laughs) Totally. (laughs) All right. So first of all, I think we've got to take a step back and look at um, humour 
the, the definition of humour. So a lot of people, when they think of humour, they think of it in the traditional entertainment, uh, humour for entertainment purposes. So when it's humour for entertainment and we see stand-up comedians and knock-knock jokes and all of that sort of stuff, people are thinking about it in the terms with the outcome of being, we're cracking, like being funny, cracking jokes and getting laughs. Now, if we have that as the focus in a business context, that doesn't really fit in as nicely and neatly in a business context because we don't want everyone cracking jokes in the workplace. We don't need to get heaps of laughs and we don't need to be funny. What we need to be thinking about humour is in the terms of a business context is getting people's attention having connections and getting engagement with our, with our teams. So it's like we think about it from the point of view of attention, connection, engagement, and that's like ACE, which is like the ace up your sleeve. Mm-hmm. So instantly that turns humour from a high-pressure situation where we have to get people to laugh is to how can we bring in a bit of humour just to make people feel comfortable? How do we use humour to make them connected with us and get them engaged? So it's a very different focus, which also means that it doesn't need quite as hardcore approach of let's tell a joke, three people walk into a bar or knock, knock, who's there? Um, Because that sort of leads on to the next bit, Ali, of what one of the my number one mistake that I see people using when they use humor in a business context is that they go, oh, we'll just tell some jokes. Now, jokes are the worst way to be funny. I have a saying, if you want to be funny, don't tell jokes. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good joke. And the, and the reason is because what happens when people tell a joke is it puts the other party on high alert. So it's ah, like because yeah. they go, they go, oh, so this person's telling a joke, it better be funny. And so then the next question they ask when somebody's finished telling the joke is, is it funny? And if it is funny and they get a laugh, congratulations, you win. But if it's not funny and they don't laugh, it leaves a very awkward situation. <laughs> Oh, you don't know if it was meant to be funny or not meant to be funny or if you should do a sympathy laugh. Mm, Yeah. I see the problem. And the other problem with that too is that it puts the other recipient in like a high conflict or confrontational situation because if I start telling a joke, there's a high expectation that you're going to laugh and if you don't laugh, one of us is wrong. I'm either Uh, wrong for not telling something funny or you're wrong for not laughing at my funny joke. Ah, interesting. And so in times of crisis where we're trying to connect with each other, telling Mm. jokes that set up a confrontational situation actually does the reverse of what we need it to do. Oh, shivers. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What a mess. If you could walk around with someone all day in, you know, in the office and you had your sort of humour barometer, do we want people to kind of be like on the verge of, you know, being engaged and humorous the whole time or do we want it to ebb and flow? Do we, you know, leave it in our pocket? What's your, what's your expertise <laughs> on like how funny and how frequently do you want to be bringing humour into the workplace? Yeah, well, I think it's definitely you use humour like a spice, not enough and you can't taste it's there too much and it just over, overshadows everything. So I think if you're not using any humour in your workplace at all, you can probably put in one to two bits of humour a day and that would probably have a big change. And then you just keep slowly adding until you go, yep, I think we've got the balance. But I think also for leaders what they need to realise is if you're grading on a curve from a leadership to humour sort of ratio, most leaders probably aren't actively using humour. And so a little bit is going to go a long way. Yeah. And 
I mean, obviously when we work with people that I talk about this all the time, there, you know, there's this variable where everyone's a little bit different and we're all uniquely, all uniquely different. So are there different types of humor that resonate with different people or is there kind of like a blanket level of humor or how do you do that when there's all sorts of different people in your team? Yeah. So the, the trick with humor is that there's two parts to it. One of the bits is what is said mm-hmm. as far as the humor is. And then the other part is how it is received. Uh-huh. So you need to make sure that your humor is tailored to the audience. Yep. And a classic example of this is a couple of years ago, Kanye West, hopefully everybody knows who Kanye West is, is a musician, was doing a collaboration with Paul McCartney from the Beatles. Right. And his Twitter feed blew up with all his fans going, it is so great to see Kanye helping out an old musician, helping him get his foot in the door and isn't Kanye amazing? (laughs) Oh, I can see where this is going. Yeah, carry on. And from your shocked silence response there, Ali, I can tell that you're just like, I think Paul McCartney was doing the favour to Kanye yeah. and, and we sort of get the get the laughter and the joke there because we're old enough to know Paul McCartney from the Beatles and how big he was. However, you couldn't sort of share that story with a group of younger people, sort of like primary school, high school students, because they wouldn't necessarily get who Paul McCartney was. They would probably only know who Kanye West was. Ah. So when you sort of make, like you want to make sure that they're, the humour is relevant to the audience because they they will actually get it. So you have a think about in your um, workplaces and your teams, what sort of demographic is there? Is it like lots of young graduates or is it more senior people or is it more approaching the end of their working career sort of age groups? Have a think about what their lives look like. How are they sort of, are they living with their parents? Are they living with their children? Are they living by themselves? Are they living in a share house? Because they're the sorts of, clues that get left as to what people are most likely to be able to understand and obviously people working in an office is going to be slightly different to people working out on the out on the field and so making sure you share experiences that are going to be common for the people that are listening to them. Yeah, I think that's such great advice. And I think sometimes we try and do the one size fits all, you know, whether it's humor, whether it's communication, whereas in actual fact, we need to be making sure that we're tailoring it to on the receiving end, rather than on the giving end. So for those listeners who are like, yeah, this sounds really good, but my job's really serious. What's the science behind humor? Like, why does humor work? See, humour, when yeah, because I was saying before about how I didn't really take the humour thing very seriously. Yeah. <laughs> One of the, uh, when I was doing all my research to justify my position, basically, yeah. I came across a study by the researchers at Stanford University about the effects on the brain. Love it. And so what basically happens is, one hemisphere of your brain has to analyse the words and the structures and the other hemisphere has to actually get the joke. So both sides of your brain work at the same time to get the joke. And then the motor cortex section, so if you put a head, like if you imagine putting your sunnies on the top of your head, the bit that sort of goes across the top of your head, um, that's the motor cortex section and that bit is responsible for the actual physical making you smile and laugh. So that Uh bit gets lit up as well. Yeah. And then the occipital lobe, which is at the back of your head, like if you sort of had a ponytail or something. Yeah, where you put your ponytail or if you put your hands behind your head and put your feet on your desk, that sort of spot, um, (laughs) that's the occipital lobe and that creates the visual imagery. And then the limbic system, which is the emotional centre. So if you imagine a big basketball and if you imagine right in the centre 
of the basketball, that's the limbic system, that's responsible for the emotions. So all parts of somebody's brain fires up when they laugh. Mm -hmm. And so it's a really good way to get people sparked up. And then what happens from there is that it improves your capacity for understanding and learning retention and remembering things later as well. So it really just fires everything up. And if we've got any listeners who are just like, she lost me way back at occipital. <laughs> I've got no <laughs> idea what she said right now. I just want you to imagine, like, think about if somebody laughs, it's like fireworks going off in their brain. Like everything sparks and fires at once. All parts of your brain fire. And so when that happens, so when we do get a laugh and, you know, the fireworks are going off, it means that uh, the brain, all of the brain's lit up and ready to listen, learn. Do so that's why that, it's the perfect, yeah. perfect time for engagement. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So if we can sort of get that happening in, in our team's brains, then they're going to be much more switched on to do the work that they're meant to be doing and the performance is going to improve and the productivity is going to improve. Yeah, we want all of those things. Yeah. So probably maybe not promising anything. This could be my last question, but I might have another one. How do you <laughs> how do you do this now, like what we're doing, you know, via Zoom or as an online? Does it have less impact? Do you need to up your funny levels, your humor levels, or how does it work when you are in a virtual team? I think that the I think it's mainly about sharing, like when we're all separated. The best thing that humor can do is combine us and have, give us that shared experience. Yeah, awesome. So whether and and we don't have to write the humor ourselves. We don't have to come up with it ourselves. We can just be the curators of it. So a morning email that has the instructions for the day, for example, with a funny meme at the bottom, mm. is probably going to make sure that everyone opens that mm. quicker than if they just had the instructions for the day. Interesting. I like that. That's a little uh, leadership 101 hack out of me. Good morning email. Good one. <laughs> so that people open it. Because yeah. I don't know about you, but I've got a mortgage broker who sends out a um, newsletter every a quarter, I think it is. And there's a funnies section in that. And so every time that comes, I open straight to the funny section, read the jokes or whatever. And then I will flick through the rest. Like, then I'll read the rest of the magazine. But it's that thing that inspires you to open that email ah, no that I don't messages. I don't think I, I must need to get oh. on a better email list I think I don't get any of <laughs> any of those types of things so and then when you're looking at that is it if it's like if it passes the funny factor like you're like yes okay I'll read the rest of the email or is it just yeah. kind of get you in the learning state straight away well it just sort of gets people it gets people looking forward to your emails if there's a ah. funny meme in it and so then it, it sort of it's like that hitting the reset button on the day it's like okay we've had a bit of a laugh now we've reduced our blood pressure, we've um, increased our endorphins, we've fired up our brain and now we can sort of do things. And it's that just that continual repetition of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so there's plenty of memes on Facebook that you can sort of get to. I run a Facebook group called High Performance Humour and it's a free community. And in there, there is a whole heap of appropriate work memes that we that you can pick out so you don't even have to go searching you just join that facebook group and get all of them straight away awesome so we'll put the the link to your facebook group in to the show notes so before we say see you later what would be your top five tips for our listeners around you know upping their humor in the workplace or you know perhaps even in their families sometimes it can get a bit serious yeah well i think one of the thing one of the tips that i i think has got massive potential in a workplace is starting off meetings with a YouTube clip of a stand-up comedy performance. Ah. And what I would, this is like 
this is like secret, secret, secret leadership tip, is start the video three minutes before the meeting time. Ah, so everyone okay. makes sure that they're at the meeting on time. So if you're, if you're running a meeting live, it's much easier to do in a conference room. If you're running it on virtual, just play the YouTube link before you start your video, uh, start your meeting, because that just gets everyone focused in on just like, okay, we're going to watch something. Now, the other thing too, is that it's hard to find, it may be hard to find an appropriate YouTube clip. So in that Facebook group that I have, there's a make meetings better hashtag, Ah, some videos in there that will get you started. So my first tip would be, Just start to incorporate like memes or YouTube clips during the day because what happens is if you have the stuff that I've got in that Facebook group, a lot of it is stuff that people can have a shared experience about. So it may not necessarily be a laugh straight away, but then they can have a reference point of like, oh, yeah, you remember that video about the triathlon? Yeah, that's what you were doing on the weekend when you're running. So it sort of gives people a shared experience to talk about other than just work. So that's the first tip. Love it. Love starting a, a meeting with a movie. I find that that's so good. People are like, oh, goody, we're going to be able to watch a little bit of TV before our meeting. This is so much fun. <laughs> and it's, it may only be three minutes, but it could be a, the three minutes could make the whole meeting change. So yeah. quite a fascinating thing. So that's number one. The second one is fill up on funny. So if you want funny to come out of you, funny needs to be in you. So make sure you fill up on that. And we talked about the High Performance Humour Facebook group. There's heaps of stuff in there that you can fill up on funny with because they're the sorts of things that you can just shoot out in a message every now and then just to go here, thought of this and saw you and it, it just sort of helps keep that funny going. We talked about don't tell jokes. Yeah. Um, that would be tip number three, don't tell jokes. And the sort of addition to that is use stealth humour, which is the sort of humour that I teach my clients, which is like you don't feel like you're being funny, your um, recipient doesn't feel like you're trying too hard, but we're all connected and engaged and having a good time. So that's sort of uh, tip number three. Tip number four is remember that we're not using humour for entertainment in a business context. We're using it for attention, connection and engagement. And that just takes the, the pressure off having to be hilarious and turning it into just be using that for connection and engagement and getting people's attention. So that's the um, ace up your sleeve. Love it. And then I think the other thing is to ask yourself why you want to use humour in the first place. So are we trying to find the fun in a hard situation? Are we trying to manage the mood of our team to keep them keep their spirits up? Are we trying to make a connection with somebody? Are we trying to keep them engaged? And really have that reason that you're doing humour first and foremost so that you can then use the right appropriate humour and the right level, amount of humour to get that result. Love it. So many good tips. And I think uh, I'm definitely going to be trying to incorporate a little bit more humor as an engagement strategy. And I I particularly loved your pro tip at the beginning with uh, flicking on the YouTube video and starting (laughs) your meeting with a giggle. How good is that? Like how Uh, much more fun would everyone have if they're just like, yeah, we're going to watch video before we start the meeting so so much fun I remember years ago actually before like zoom was so prolific is there was you know like a, a couple of skits around what happens in a virtual meeting where like someone drops out and they kind of yeah, did it yeah, as a yeah. YouTube but the the audio was of people like dropping out and someone being in a shopping center and like breaking up and uh, it was hilarious and uh, I used to play that all the time and yeah. and you're right it got heaps of engagement and everyone was like yeah you're like you know Bob in the meeting from the YouTube <laughs> 
And and that's the sort of thing where I was talking about having that shared experience because yeah. then there's a reference point. You go, oh yeah, you're, you're like that guy, and yeah. then everyone has a second laugh down the track when yeah. the music stopped even playing. So, so good. I love it. So we'll put the link in to the Facebook put Facebook group into the notes. But if anyone wants to, I guess you know, supercharge their humor, what where can they go to find that? Yeah, so the absolute best way to get in contact with me is I've got a bit of a gift for all your listeners, Ali. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's called the Humour Booster and it's five steps to use humour to engage um, people. So if you go to my website, which is katebird.com.au forward slash gift, and I'm sure you'll put that in the show notes as well. Will I will. You, I will yep. definitely <laughs> put that in there. So the humor booster and it is gift as in GIFT, not uh, the funny GIF that you could probably also use in oh, your yeah, emails. <laughs> put the link in the show notes. And thank you so much, Kate, for lighting up today's episode on the Made For More podcast. Uh, I am looking forward to hearing from our listeners about how they're putting some more funny in so they can get more funny out. Thank you. Fabulous. Thank you, Ellie. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode on the Made For More podcast, please make sure you subscribe to receive future episodes. And of course, five-star reviews are always welcome on the Apple podcast. If you'd like a copy of the show notes or any of the links mentioned today, check out madeformore.com.au forward slash podcast and of course if we aren't connected already you can find me in all the usual places ali nitschke on linkedin ali.madeformore on facebook and instagram i hope you have an awesome week and i'll catch you again soon bye bye